Connor, yeah, so I guess, uh, starting off with Arizona. Well, first of all, if I was Steve Kime, I'd already have a trade done by now. That's to make first things first. I don't know why they still have Josh Rosen on their team right now, but assuming they are, and I am Steve Kime, I can't take Kyler Murray with the number one pick. I just don't think you can have two of those young QBs on the roster right now. I think ultimately my gut feeling is the Patriots trade the, the 32nd pick and they get Rosen. That's my feeling and the Cardinals will get Murray, but having it stand right now, I have to take this one of the safest prospects in the draft in Quinn and Williams. If you're Kingsbury and your time, you're pretty safe right now. Clearly, the Cardinals are expecting a rebuild. You don't have to win this year. You can take the flyer on the QB next year. Hell, you can wait for Lawrence. You don't have to do it now. I think they should trade Rosen. together again this week i thought tommy and i had a, a great conversation on monday definitely had some things going in my brain uh the last couple of days and wanted to get the opportunity to get lee back in on the podcast but the movie baby movie comes first uh, something's got to pay the bills yep then the movie the movie probably won't ever pay any bills but it's a passion project and that's that's some things are priceless in life adam as we've learned in our short time here on the planet and passion projects are would go under the category of something that is priceless i would say yeah we had a, we had a nice little conversation in uh, connor's den about passion projects during the eoc fights yep there's been a lot of there's been a lot of good conversations uh, involving connor ryan and the den perhaps too so hopefully all right p chauncey all right p chauncey all right p chauncey is right all right p chauncey um and that, that reminds me, I had the pleasure of on one of my, my beautiful four-mile runs two days ago, I listened to our 2019 four-way mock draft with Connor Ryan. That's, where, that's, he just picked, a great that's where he picked Haskins to the... Haskins at, was Haskins the Buccaneers. at the Buccaneers. Yeah. <laughs> and I, if I remember correctly, he took Quinnen Williams, number one, to Arizona. That's he right, on he Kyler. did, he did. And Kyler went, to, Kyler went Kyler. to Vegas in that draft, didn't he? Yep, I took, yeah. I took, I took Kyler with the Raiders and... Uh, I mean, it's it's actually funny, Clep. Did I take Will Greer round pod. one? No, oh. you didn't. Connor Connor took Will Greer actually oh, um, to the Giants <laughs> in the top of round two. Connor took the hits for everybody. Connor took the hits. He right. did. But we, um, yeah, we uh, we 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 got the Niners right. We took Bosa. I think Lee or I think Lee took Bosa too, and I took Debo Samuel in the second round. So nice. we got that right. And I just wanted to bring up the Raiders because we. Um, you look at that draft, Cleland Farrell, um, you know, Cleland Farrell, uh, Jonathan Abram, and, J- and Josh Jacobs. And the BJP, we got Kyler Murray, Noah Fant, and uh, Josh Jacobs. So a little bit of a different look for uh, the BJP brain trust, but just an enjoyable listen. And I would encourage all, any listener to go back and listen to that. It's always good to hear, you know, your thoughts on. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of DK slander from Lee. A lot of DK slander from Lee, but we, don't, we ain't going to judge that. We don't have to get into that. Yeah. Still, still not high on DK as an elite receiver, but he's obviously way better than I thought he would be. 
Um, fair enough, fair enough. On, on that note, Tommy and I did some prospect pairings, wanted to give Lee a chance to jump in here, share who he thinks would be some good round one, then round two matches for these teams uh, drafting. Lee, what, what do you got for us? Okay, I'm going to start it off with the first pair. In I'm doing this in order of, of draft order, and that's the uh, the New York football giants. My uh, my little uh, we talk about a passion project. I would say the New York football giants are my passion project in the form of an NFL team. Um, we're going to start out with the number eleven pick, getting Kyle Pitts. And Tommy, you can say what you want about me. I, I, I I'm. Definitely going to be in a position now where I'm walking back a little bit on my pits, not taking pits top 15. I'm still not, uh, I still stand by my stance of Smith, Chase, and Waddle. I would, ha- I would draft all before pits. But I think in this specific scenario that I'm outlining right now, uh, the hypothetical is that those receivers are off the board. Or even, let's say Waddle's still on the board or one of them is still on the board. You just signed Kenny Galladay. Um, I think they have a formidable defense, and if you can get Kyle Pitts, who is the best tight end prospect um, of the modern era, I would say. I, I The last name I can think of where I thought of a tight end in this light was Vernon Davis, and I was a young boy at that time. I didn't really know much about tight end. So Kyle Pitts, the best tight end I have quote-unquote scouted. Um, if you can get him at the 11th pick for the Giants and pair him with Evan Ingram, I just think making Daniel Jones' life as easy as possible should kind of be the goal for the New York Giants this year and getting Saquon back. Signing Kenny Galladay, I like what they have in two and three options with Shepard and Slayton. And just bringing Pitts into that offense, I think, would just make it that much more dynamic. So even if it is uh, maybe a bit of an overdraft, taking a tight end on 11 just based on the history of of how tight ends have fared after being drafted in the top 15, um, I still think it would be a good value pick for the Giants. Um, And then turning around and in round two uh, getting – or no, shoot, I, I completely screwed this up. I completely screwed this up. I don't want Pitts. I take Pitts <laughs> off the board. I don't want this. Is, this has been ruined. Okay, we're, we're starting it over. Pitts hasn't been taken. We took the card back. Micah Parsons is the pick at 11. We're taking Micah Parsons, who, yeah, he may have done some unsatisfactory things in, in the locker room at Penn State, and uh, that's all stuff that I don't think is going to transition to the NFL. I don't think he's going to have that kind of – uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know even know what to call it. Like bully mentality, I guess. You, that, you can't get away with that in the NFL. And I think that this whole experience and um, his draft stock somewhat plummeting has probably humbled him a little bit. And I think the Giants getting a dynamic playmaker like that on defense with the 11th pick would be a great move for them. And then I get the tight end in the second round with Brevin Jordan and their, with their second round pick, bringing him into the offense. Not as dynamic as Pitts, but I still think very highly of Brevin Jordan. He'd probably be my number two tight end over Pat Fryermuth. Um, kind of a move guy who I think could really help the offense. So if you're the New York Giants, bringing in Micah Parsons and Brevin Jordan, I think would be a recipe for success with those first two picks. Um, can't believe I screwed that up. It was amateur. Um, moving. No, I, I would like to. I'd like to react to that real quick. Um, okay. I think I think the Parsons pick at eleven is is a great fit. I think I don't clap. I don't know if you and I touched on this before, but I've been I've been mocking Parsons to the Giants at eleven as well. And even though I think I view uh, Owusu Kamara as a better off the ball linebacker, in my opinion, to Micah Parsons, I think Micah Parsons is like a really good scheme fit and could play a little bit of that three four outside linebacker and bring a lot of pressure off the edge. 
and, and all of that. And I was and I was really down with your pits. Uh, I was really getting ready to uh, to shower you with some adoration with the with the pits take at eleven of the Giants um, because I don't think he'd be redundant with Evan Ingram. And I'm going to push back on this because I think Brevin Jordan, at the very, you know, he's he's an upgrade. I'm not an upgrade. He's a long. He's, he's a bit of a long-term plan, I guess. If you're not going to bring back Ingram, I believe this is his last year on that that first round uh, contract that he got back in 2017. But I view them as kind of a little bit redundant. And right now, I just think that Evan Ingram is almost a better version of you know Brevin Jordan. I think has the potential to be that type of player, and they're they're kind of similar in some ways, but. Right now, I just think it's a little bit redundant with Evan Ingram, whereas Kyle Pitts, I think I view him more of as an offensive weapon and even more of a receiver. And I completely, you know, agree with your rhetoric as, you know, it has to be about making Daniel Jones' life as easy as possible. So you're in almost a, a Denver situation next year if it doesn't work out where you can bring in a new quarterback, whether it's a rookie or, you know, who knows, into a really good, uh, you know, situation with Saquon and Galladay, Darius Slayton, and a rookie offensive weapon. So... That's that's the only pushback I would give. I don't know if you have any. Yeah, uh, I would say Brevin Jordan's better that. than Evan Ingram, like in the long term, and especially if it's if, if Evan Ingram's contract is coming up, like they're not going to want to pay him. So bringing in a tight end, um, I think would be a good move, and I don't think it'd be like stupid for them to pass up on Pitts to get Parsons in the first round, considering um, the fact that they spent all that money on Galladay and Saquon's coming back. So I think their offense is naturally going to take a step forward, even if Daniel Jones plays at the same level. Whereas their defense, I know they've made a couple moves on defense. Addery Jackson comes to mind, and uh, you know there's a, there's a couple other guys that I'm blanking out on that they made moves for. But uh, oh yeah, Ifedio Denigbo, I like that they made that move too. But it, but getting a linebacker, I think would be huge for them. So that I guess would be my response. And then Brevin Jordan, I just think um, whether you're gonna, I think you can play with Ingram, and I think you probably will end up being better than Ingram, who's been a massive disappointment, I think, for the New York Giants. Um, in his career this far, and then, like I said, with the contract situation, I just think you're putting yourself in a better position um, if you if you don't get a tight end with that 11th pick, Pitts specifically. Um, it's, it's, Lee, yeah. it's interesting because I, I, you know, not to drag this on too long, I, I did the Giants as well. Um, oh, you did? I, I gave them uh, Caleb Farley to, to match with Bradbury, and then I gave him a linebacker in round two with Jamin Davis to pair with Blake Martinez. So I think we're kind of in the same wavelength there as far as the linebackers go. And, and even though you're, you didn't take Pitts, I think it's going to be interesting because the, the, the Pitts downer boys might be coming, coming back towards Tommy as we get a little tease here. As I, I have something to say about him when we get into the, the tackle versus wide receiver conversation. Yeah. So. Well, I definitely, I definitely will immediately admit that my initial, like, when the, it was almost like right when the book closed on the college football season and we kind of started having draft discussion and I was shooting down the idea of Pitts going top 15 was, was definitely kind of more knee-jerk me being contrarian to the idea of drafting a tight end top 15 just based on that resume over the past decade and not really taking into account the, you know, the player that Pitts was and how when I really did look at it, it didn't take long for me to realize like, oh, I'm trying to think of a tight end that I can remember watching in college that was better than him, and I'm having a, re- a, like, a lot of trouble doing that. And then it kind of turned into a thing where, okay, so how does he stack up against the top three receivers? Oh, well, maybe he's not the best out of them, but he sure as, ha- as hell is in that conversation. Um, and, and at the very least, even if he is the fourth best player out of those four, that's still there's still an argument to be made for him to be a top 15 pick, even if that's true. And- and just to, I know, I don't, I don't, our initial Pitts argument, I believe, was 
like post pod, we we stayed on for like an hour after we finished recording, and like you and I went at it about pits like in October or whatever it was. So I don't know how documented, you know, our pits discussion was, but I just think also just real quick, just the versatility that you know I, I think I agree with you that the top three receivers are more exciting playmakers and you know than Pitts kind of on the surface, but what he's able to do for your offense and the fact that, you know, getting any of those top three receivers against an alpha corner versus Kyle Pitts being guarded by a linebacker or a safety or even a corner, I just think that's such a uh, yeah. matchup you yeah, know, nightmare. And, it, it, yeah, I, and, you know, well, let's, let's table this for now because I think it'll absolutely come up later um, when we talk. That was one of the, it's, it, is, it is one of the scheduled questions I have for you boys later on. Yeah. So I have another um, take on Pitts, too, that we, we can talk about whenever cool. that gets brought up. Why don't you shoot on another... Uh, all right, Pair. We're, mo- we're moving down from the 11th pick to the 22nd pick. We're moving we down from the blue blood teams to the no. This is this is the middle. Oh. This is the intermediary between the two blue bloods. We're going with the Tennessee mm-hmm. Titans. They were they were they're, they're no blue blood. That's for sure. They're the furthest thing from it, I would say. Um, but Mike Vrabel's trying to change the uh, change that tune. Um, so with the 22nd pick, I've got the Tennessee Titans taking my boy Rondale Moore out of Purdue and. People probably think this is a little rich. Maybe you don't, people don't really have him as a first-round receiver. I think Rondale Moore is just as dynamic as just about anybody in this draft on the offensive side of the ball, and I think that what he can bring to that offense with already having an alpha number one in A.J. Brown, getting kind of a more slot-oriented, kind of the build of a running back who, who's explosive, physical, and can make plays in the middle of the field, um, can just bring a dynamic to their offense, already having Derrick Henry out of the black backfield, having a decent offensive line, probably needs a little bit of improvement, but it's not an offensive line that's going to lose them a lot of games. And then having A.J. Brown uh, fully healthy this year, I think that could help the loss of Corey Davis and Jonu Smith, kind of their number two uh, receiver in their, in their t- starting tight end last year. Um, so I think addressing that in the first round would be really smart. And even if they get a guy like Bateman, sure, you get Bateman. I just personally would draft more for them because I think with what they're losing in Smith and Corey Davis, they can get a little bit of, of that back with Rondale Moore. Um, and then down the line, we're moving to the second round and pick number 53. And I'm going to make a prophecy right now off the dome. This dude will be available at pick 53, and his name is Quincy Roche, and he's an edge rusher from the University of Miami. And he just so happens to be one of my favorite players in the draft. And I think that this is a great spot for him to go into. Um, we, we kind of have seen and talked about, I think, on recent episodes, the field experiment that has been the pass rush for the Tennessee Titans with Harold Landry really being the only presence and not getting any help from any of the signings they've attempted to make, whether it be Jadavian Clowney or uh, Vic Beasley or anyone like that. So I think bringing in Quincy Roche would be awesome. I think Vrabel could coach him up, and I think he's one of those guys who can make an impact from day one in the NFL. I think he's pro-ready, and I think that, you know, sure, you're not getting a Jalen Phillips or, or one of those premier Aziz Ojolarji is a name that's coming up a lot. You're not getting one of those premier guys, but I think Roche is a great supplemental edge to take in the second round. So I think that would be an awesome draft for them. And then, last but not least, the third team I'm going through in this scenario is the Pittsburgh Steelers um, at pick 24. Uh, That's the Blue Blood franchise you guys have been waiting for. And I've been saying this since they lost that playoff game to the Browns, and Tommy and I have had a couple arguments about it, uh, very cordially so. Um, and uh, Najee Harris would be my pick here if he's available, without a doubt in my mind. Um, I think that he will, day one, 
can have the impact of a top five running back in the NFL. I think he absolutely could be a candidate to win offensive rookie of the year. I just think he's, you look up NFL ready in the dictionary and Najee Harris is it. I think he's going to make an impact from day one. He's physical. He's fast. He can catch the ball better than people think. He is the running back that can make the Steelers offense go uh, like no running back has been able to do. Uh, in recent memory, in these James Conner, Benny Snell years have been a little bit frustrating to watch. Um, and I know that they need help on the offensive line, and that's why this is my reach pick. Don't know if he's going to be there, but this would be ideal. You bring in the Bama boy with Najee Harris, Alex Leatherwood. The Draft Network's got him ranked as the 54th overall prospect. We're looking at the Steelers at the 55th overall pick here. Maybe it's a match made in heaven. I think if he's available there with the 55th pick and you can bring in Najee Harris and, uh, and, and Leatherwood to your team, that, that would be a great upgrade for the Pittsburgh Steelers, not only to protect Ben, but to be able to move that rock on the ground. So bringing in those Bama boys for the Steelers, I think, would really kind of be a win-now move for them. You're bringing in a running back who you think could be Make, I, I personally, I guess I'll put it this way, I think he can make a bigger impact than any of the rookie running backs last year. We see how highly regarded those rookie running backs are uh, going into this season and the offseason. Guys like Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins, Edwards Hilaire, and DeAndre Swift. I think if you can bring in Najee Harris and he can have a bigger impact than them and you can bring in who I believe is a premier left tackle, um, that would be huge for their offense. And I don't think it would solve all of their problems, but I think it would add a dynamic to their offense that they didn't have last year. And down the line, once teams start to figure them out and they couldn't really move the ball on the ground, that was kind of their Achilles heel. So I think that could help them a lot. And that pretty much wraps up my, uh, my tandem of three teams that, uh, that, that, I've, that I've given these two prospects for, the prospect pairs. Yeah, I, I like those. Um, yeah, I, I'd push back, I guess, a little bit on the, on the Rondale Moore going in the first round situation. Um, yeah, I think he's definitely an explosive player. I think there's injury issues there. And then I also think, you know, the Titans would have to maybe have more of a defined role for him. I mean, I think he is a guy who absolutely just can flip a game on its head, you know, on, on one play. But, you know, there's still just not – I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm, I'm wrong, but I just don't know if there's, you know, a clear blueprint as for, you know, what he should be in the NFL. I guess you put him in at, at slot receiver. But I'm assuming, you know, whoever gets him is going to want to try and use him in a lot of creative ways. So, you know, is he, you know, a consistent slot receiver or is he kind of more of a, you know, gadget type of guy? You know, I think that's that's kind of a risky run by taking yeah. a guy like that in the first round. And I think that, I guess, yeah. my, my explanation would be, uh, I do think he's a slot receiver, and that's why I would have the confidence taking him at this pick because I do really think he can be a consistent slot receiver in the NFL, and that, I guess, is what this what this pick would prove. Yeah, um, I want to kind of touch on both of these because if I remember correctly, Clep, you and I, I mean, I've been, these are two teams that I'm eager to fade going into 2020. Yeah, I was going to say that too. Tommy uh, just kind of talked about how he hasn't really liked what the Titans have been doing recently, so I thought it was interesting that you yeah. brought him up, Lee. And, I, I mean, Lee, I really like what you're doing. Uh, just to touch on Rondale Moore, I know I kind of waxed poetic about him on the last episode, but I don't think he's a gadget player at all, just to kind of comment on Klepp's um, comment. I think, you know, the injury issues is something that I would be the, the biggest concern with him. Um, but Rondale Moore, I mean, I think at the very least is going to be one of the better slots in the NFL from day one if he can stay healthy, and I think he can play on the outside too. I don't think there's really any reason why. I mean, obviously he's diminutive, but... The dude has a 42-inch vertical. He's aggressive. He wins at the catch point. He plays, um, you know, a lot bigger than you'd think. And, you know, he didn't 
really run a complete route tree at Purdue, but that was just because he was their whole offense, and when he was healthy, um, you know, they just were giving him slants and, you know, really kind of rudimentary routes and everything like that. But I think that he has the athletic makeup and profile to be, you know, everything you'd want as an NFL receiver. Lee, uh, I know your boy, Quincy Roche. I wanted to – I think that's a good pick. I think he's a high-floor player. You mentioned Ojolari and Jalen Phillips, too, you know, really explosive kind of modern edges. But I think your boy, Quincy Roche, you know, he produced a Temple right, and then he went to Miami and was a good yeah. player there as he, well. He got one of those um, one through nine t- uh, numbers at Temple, too. Which is, yeah. The nine <laughs> toughest players on the team get the get one through nine. So that's – Lee, I really like that pick, but I will say I think you got it – bring a corner in there, and I really didn't like the Bud Dupree signing. Um, they brought in Bud Dupree. They gave him $85 million over five years to come in and, and be that compliment to mm-hmm. Harold Landry that you talked about. We They've really had trouble rushing the passer, and, I mean, it, the pick is still fine even with Bud Dupree because you can never have enough good uh, pass rushers, especially with Dupree's injury history. But their current corner, I mean, is Christian Fulton their CB1? And I mean, I know you guys both weren't as high on him last year as I was. But they're definitely going to need to to boost up that that secondary and that cornerback room, especially. But I do like I like both of those players really yeah. individually. Full um, disclosure: I kind and, of forgot about the Dupree signing when I was pre-pod yeah, going I, through I, going through the, I the fits. Tell. So I mean, yeah, I still think Roche could bring a nice rotation to that D line. But now that I think about it, I mean, there probably are a few cornerbacks that they would be better served taking. Um, but yeah, no and. And just to touch on um, touch on the Steelers real quick, I mean, I, I really do disagree with the Najee Harris pick. Um, obviously, he would have a great – I mean, he's going to have a great impact no matter where he goes, if it's in the first round or if he goes undrafted. I mean, he's probably the best running back in this class in terms of complete skill set. I don't really care about the fact that he's going to be 23 years old um, on week one. I, th- I think it doesn't really matter for running backs. You kind of have that window till like, 28 to 30 where that's really what you're going for. Um, but the Steelers, I mean, if they can get a guy like Alex Leatherwood in the second round, I think that would be wonderful. And, and Leatherwood's a guy that I talked about, and I think, Clef, we both kind of touched on him in the last podcast, and that was before his athletic testing came out, and he ran sub-5 in the 40 and is a versatile guy who was kind of being pegged as a, a potential guard but also can play tackle. I mean, he played all over at, at Alabama, so I would be surprised if he's there, but... In theory, if they're able to do that, um, you know, I think that'd be great. Uh, you know, I just think in a you know in a vacuum, the, you're going to get your, you know, you know what I'm going to say. You're going to be able to get a running back who can do way closer to what Najee can do in the second round than you would be taking a tackle or any offensive lineman. And they have a lot of holes. You know, Villanueva's gone at left tackle, Pouncey retired right at center, and they really only have David DeCastro and the. Uh, the right tackle, Dotson, for was a rookie last year who played really well. So they have a lot of holes on that offensive line. And, you know, Najee Harris is going to have a great impact no matter where he plays uh, week one. But how, how much better is he going to make this, that Steelers team, which, you know, has kind of made an identity in the trenches um, and has had a really good offensive line for the past couple of years. Uh, and, we, and also, too, we know with – I mean, I know we're all low on Roethlisberger. That dude was getting the ball out, like, within two seconds last year – and was by far leading the NFL in terms of getting the ball out of his hand quickly, and the offensive line is going to be even worse And with all that. So, I mean, I just think that the Steelers, and to a lesser extent the Titans, are, are kind of headed for disaster and really headed for aggression. So 
I don't think you know necessarily that that those picks are are going to help out too much, especially in Pittsburgh. So uh, I do, for the record, I do like what you did with Tennessee, though. Um, Thank Lee, you. I, I uh, for I did a pair for the Falcons, and I had them getting Najee in the in the second round in in Lance at four. Oh wow, yeah, I uh, yeah, I think there's a zero percent chance Najee Harris will be available in the second round. I just personally, it's just, it just comes down to me liking Najee Harris more than anyone, except for Dolan, I guess. Dolan likes Najee. Like, I, I think Najee Harris, if there wasn't such a, like, a foo-foo on running backs, uh, he would absolutely be in the conversation to be, like, a lottery pick this year. Yeah. Um, I, there, there is a foo-foo for good reason, though. You know, like, it's not like, I don't think this is a fad. I think it's it's based I completely in, think it's a fad. <laughs> So, like, that's where we disagree, and we don't need to, like, go into the foxholes. But um, I, I think you're totally underselling Najee Harris for saying that you can get a, a talent similar to him in the second round. Like, oh, yeah, you can just get Trey Sermon or Kenneth Gainwell, and you'll be fine. Like, no, I think Trey Sermon and Kenneth Gainwell are closer to Benny Snell than they are to Najee Harris. That's why I would take Najee Harris in the first round, because I just think he's an elite talent. I think when it comes down to football players, Najee Harris is a top five football player in this draft, like without question in my mind. So you're 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 right. I, you're, I mean, so you're... I think if you can bring him in and he can win offensive rookie of the year as a running back for the Steelers, which is what I think he could do, um, or at least make that type of impact, um, I think that's a that's a great bargain with the twenty fourth pick. And so what if he's not good when he's twenty nine? You've got six years of an elite NFL running back. I you know I, I just think. That is still worth it, you know, <clears throat> and it almost like like we talked about, and we can hop off this uh, momentarily, but similar to how, Tommy, we disagreed about uh, the Josh Jacobs pick a couple years ago, and I don't think that anyone is right or wrong for that. There are good arguments against drafting Josh Jacobs to this day. There are good arguments for it. I just think if you can bring in a running back who can immediately have an elite impact on your team and be an elite player, which these a lot of these college running backs can do, um, these top end guys, like we saw with these guys last year, um, I think that you're in the latter ha- half of the first round, and like if you're the Steelers, you don't have, uh, you don't even really have a plus running back on your roster, in my opinion. So to bring someone, I, to bring someone, in, I just to say, yeah. go ahead. I want I want Klepp to pound the table for Anthony McFarland here. You had him <laughs> as a top five running back last year, like. I'm not, and again, Najee Harris. Tommy, if Anthony McFarland was anything close to what you think he is, he would start over Benny Snell or James Conner, two mediocre running backs. Like the guys. I don't think, I don't think that's necessarily true. Yeah, I don't think that's necessarily true. Like, look at a guy, like um, I guess Aaron Jones started as a rookie, but a lot of running backs like don't necessarily hit the ground running in their first year. Even look at a guy like um, James Conner. James Conner was behind. I mean, obviously he was behind. James Conner sucks. Yeah, he he does suck, but I I side more with Tommy on the argument of like running back value for sure. I mean, I think I think Lee maybe you know what Tommy's trying to say is not you won't find a player like Najee later on. Like obviously Najee is of a different talent, but you can still find that production at running back much easier with later on in the draft than you can at, at other positions. Um, so I think that's kind of yep. I, don't know, I I side more with Tommy just on like the running backs high and that. Partially comes from me watching the Lions get Amir Abdullah and then carry on Johnson and then DeAndre Swift versus like what are we doing drafting these dudes in the in the second round? I guess you can also say the ones that they've drafted late have flopped too. But um, I want to get into my my tackle versus receiver. 
situation. Let's do um, it. So something I've been kind of talking about a lot through the draft process, again, mainly with the Lions sitting at seven, um, is they get mocked receivers to them a lot. And I also just overall see, you know, you see Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddle, and Jamar Chase frequently in the top 10 and then also in the top 15. Um, and overall, I just think, especially too, as we've seen with the free agent market for receivers, that I don't always think that going with a wide receiver in round one um, is the best value, um, just in terms of what the position, the position, positional value is and just the rate that these guys bust with where they get taken in the first round compared to other positions. And the position that I kind of went with would just be offensive tackle because if there is not a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance, I kind of want the Lions to look in that direction. I don't think I, I would be – I think it's a cold day in hell before Sewell doesn't go to the Bengals, right? But if you're sitting there for the Lions and you know Slater or Darisaw is there at seven, I think I would personally prefer that pick to – a Waddle, Chase, or a Smith. Um, and I just, I went through the data a little bit. So I went through all the, the tackles and the receivers that have been drafted in the first round from 2011 to 2018. Um, I started to include like the 2019 and 2020 class for both of those positions, but just like didn't think that it was enough time really yet to, to make a decision. Um, but yeah, I think you, you can, it was pretty even. Like I feel like the tackles from last year were in the first round pretty strong, and the ones from 2019 are not so much. And I think it's the other way around when you look at the the receivers, or it's kind of the same when you look at the receivers too. Like 2019 was Hollywood Brown and Nikhil Harry, but then some of the receivers from this past year, like Justin Jefferson, have done really well. So um, just kind of wanted to put that out there that I, I just kind of passed on including them. But from my data and from my my um, overall perception of these players. So there's been 26 tackles taken um, in the first round from the 2011 draft to the 2018 draft. So 26 tackles taken. I said nine of them um, were busts um, from those. um, And then I said 10 of them were worth top 10 picks, whether or not they were selected in the top 10 or not selected in the top 10 in the first round. So you're looking at about 34% of tackles in the first round um, do not work out for the teams that draft them. And then for receivers, there's been 30. um, And I said 17 of them um, were not worth the pick for the team that took them, which is a rate of 56%. And then of those 30, only six of them to me were worth uh, a top 10 pick. And I guess like a jumping off point for this conversation is that personally, I just kind of believe that a average tackle is more valuable to your team than an above average receiver. So two guys that I kind of pegged as tackles that were worth their selections, but aren't necessarily worth top 10 picks um, were uh, Juwan James and then Mike McGlinchey, like two guys that I think are pretty good, but they're not necessarily elite players. Um, Juwan James got a big second contract with the Broncos, but he's been like, okay. Mike McGlinchey had a nice rookie season, but has been okay since then. Um, and then where you compare them to a guy like, you know, a Brandon Cooks, who I think Brandon Cooks has had a great career so far. I don't think he's an elite receiver, but I think he's a better overall football player than a Juwan James or a Mike McClinchy. But I would still rather have the tackle over the receiver. Yeah. Does that make sense, I guess? Yeah, that makes yes. a lot of sense. I agree with that. Um, 
Do you have any more? I kind of want to ask you, because I'm sure maybe we grade. But like, and like DJ Moore, thinking, you know, like. Yeah. So, uh, go ahead, Tommy. Yeah. I think it's super interesting because I agree with you. Like an average tackle is better than an above average um, receiver. And then you have, you know, like the Eric Fishers of the world who is definitely like an average or maybe even above average tackle but was the number one overall pick. And you have – and like how would you grade a guy like Nelson Aguilar who like probably isn't a, wasn't worth the first round pick but, you know, continues to produce at a nice level and just got, you know, he just got overpaid in New England in my opinion but is going to – is it going to be a featured, you know, number two, number three on a really good offense? Yeah, so um, Fisher was a guy who I didn't count as worth the top ten pick, but, you know, he was drafted in 2013. I think he was worth the first round selection. Obviously, the difference in yeah. value from the number one overall pick to the number 32 is wild, right? So not all this is completely, you know, fair. Um, Net Aguilar, I said, was not, you know, he wasn't worth the pick for the Eagles. Like, he just wasn't. And, again, he was taken at 20. Right, so there's a disparity there. But I also just kind of wanted to talk about the receivers who have been taken top 10. I mean, I started this in 2011, right? So A.J. Green, Julio Jones, like, home run picks, right? And I think most people yep. com- coming out, you know, knew that those dudes were going to be elite talents. But then there's also some pretty fat duds. You've got Sammy Watkins. You have Kevin White. Um, you have Corey Davis. You know, I didn't count yet Mike Williams as somebody who wasn't worth the pick because um, he has had an 1,000-yard season when he was healthy. But I think he's kind of – this is kind of a prove-it year for him. And then John Ross, he's big, I would, yeah. uh, big fat dud. So, And then the other thing I just wanted to say is, like, I'm not totally sure that, like, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell, or Devonta Smith is necessarily, like, worth – like, none of them, to me, scream like a Calvin Johnson, A.J. Green, Julio Jones – slam dunk pick in the top 10 where like if you're picking him in the top 10 like he better be elite and I just don't know if it's really and and none of these guys ever are guarantees but there's at least one thing with each of those prospects that you can kind of point to and say well that is kind of a, a a question mark whereas if so like if you're in the Lions case like I just don't think it helps you very much if you draft you know Devonta Smith and it's like oh he's a good player but he keeps getting pressed, and he really isn't have top-end speed, and we still have this massive hole on the right side of our offensive line because we waited to take a tackle. None of the good ones were available when we came back in the second round, and now we are dealing with a situation where we don't have – we don't want to keep Vitae, but he's, you know, maybe the devil that I, that I know. So mm. this is kind of where I'm coming I, from. I mean, do you think that these receivers that we're talking about in the 2021 draft are, like, worth where they're getting mocked? I think you put your finger on something there, Clep, for sure. Like, I think you've definitely, it reminds me of a way more well-researched and well-explained version of, it's funny, it's interesting Tommy brought up the whole DK thing, because really that argument sparked off of me saying, and it was recency bias of me seeing the Kevin Whites and the Josh Dogstons and the Corey Coleman's getting drafted and being like, what is going on? And my whole, I remember, if if I'm not mistaken, my whole take was like, if you're not going to take a receiver top 10, then you shouldn't take them in the first round. That was kind of like the whole thing where it's like these guys who are getting drafted like 15 through the end of the first round are not panning out. And that was the whole thing with DK was like, either you're going to take him at two with the Niners or like, I don't understand why. And um, I just think it's, it's, you definitely have your finger on something. I don't know really. I mean, then you look at last year though, and you're seeing guys like, 
Justin Jefferson, CD Lamb, to a, I guess a lesser extent, and you know, I, Jerry Judy, I still think you know maybe was a little bit disappointed in his disappointing in his first year, but also showed examples of creating incredible separation and 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 doing a lot of things that will result in longevity in in, in this league and being successful. Um, and I just think maybe we're in a turning point right now with receivers where it seems to me my instant reaction to your question would be like, yeah, I do think all three of those guys are worth a top 10 pick because I do. They were all so explosive in the SEC and so dominant in the SEC that sure, maybe you run the risk of missing on one of them. But I think if you, if you do hit, you are getting an elite receiver. And I think for a team like the lions, you make the example, well, yeah, well, Devonta's getting pressed and he can't really beat anyone. But it's like, what if he's getting pressed and he does beat those people and he's a number one receiver and he's the best player on your team? That could be, you can live with Vitae if that's the case. So I, I guess it's just more so like, how much are you willing to risk on this pick? Because you could, because you could be wrong and Smith could be, a, he could be a good wide receiver one, but not really the guy who's going to be bringing you to the promised land. And you could be thinking about how you could have had Slater or, or Vera Tucker or whatever, and you missed on them in the second round and that could suck. Or you could be saying, we're bringing Devonta Smith in and then we're going to look back on him in five years and say, yeah, he, he was, that was a slam dunk. That, like he, he was a home run or whatever. So I, I think, yeah. I guess my final answer would be before I let Tommy go here is like, you have to love the guy. And if you love the guy, then take him. Because he, you, I, think it's, I think it's easier to live with missing on a receiver in the top 10 than not taking that receiver and taking a tackle and watching him be dominant elsewhere, I guess, would be, would be how I would say that. Yeah, Lee, I agree with that totally. That's kind of like my overarching opinion too. Like we like we said two episodes ago, you got to do it your way, Frank Sinatra yeah, style, yeah, right? No, like good you got to you got to die on the you got to die on your hill if you think. And I agree with Lee. Like I think all three of those receivers are worth top ten picks. And Clef, I don't know. You mean you brought up top ten receivers, but I also think like looking at top ten tackles too. Like I feel like. Obviously, last year, and I remember last year, I was a guy who was saying, like, I think these four tackles can go in the top ten. Like, I think these guys are all studs who are going to come in and make an instant impact. And obviously, it didn't go out that way. And you look at a guy like Tristan Wirfs, who was or might have been the best right tackle in the NFL last year as a rookie, which just has never happened before. I don't think there's ever been a rookie offensive tackle who's had that much of an instant impact. I could be forgetting some names. But when I think of, like, top ten tackles... I guess it doesn't happen as much as receivers, but who really has been, you know, like worth the pick in the same way? And I also think you got to temper your expectations. Like, I don't think, you know, if if you get if you draft a receiver in the top ten and they're a number one, whether they're if they're you know you brought up you know Julio, Calvin Johnson, and to a lesser extent AJ Green, who was you know him and Julio was it was a nice debate for the first couple of years of their career, and I think Julio obviously as the time has gone on has proven to be the better receiver long-term. You know, like, one, I think it's easier for receivers to hit the ground running um, in the NFL than it would be for tackles. And and two, like, when I think of, I could be missing, you know, I, I'd like to think I'm good with this draft stuff, but I'm thinking, you know, the Luke Jokels, the Eric Fishers come to mind. Well, I mean, I mean there's, uh, I mean, t- there's a ton of them, like Greg Robinson, you know, Jake, yep. Jake Matthews. McGlinchey. You know, but, I mean, you, you yeah. also, you know, you have your Tyron Smiths. Right, you you have yep. you know I mean Taylor Lewan was I think eleven, um, I mean Lane, mm-hmm. Lane Johnson was fourth, right? So 
you know, there's, yeah. there's the other thing I kind of just wanted to reference from, you know, my research was that some of the guys who were like pretty mediocre, like your Riley Reefs or your Justin Pugh's, like, you know, maybe they didn't, you know, they were okay, right? They, but they didn't maybe, you know, do everything that you wanted them to. There isn't really that disparity with the wide receivers. Like with the wide receivers, it's just like a lot of these guys just like bombed out, like straight mm-hmm. bombed out. Like, you know, we talked about Doxon. You know, there's Brashad Perrimans, like Philip Dorsett, Corey Coleman. Like, there's just like a, a, a bigger selection of these receivers that totally like stunk. Whereas some of the linemen that didn't necessarily, I thought, were worth that first overall pick, maybe they aren't even really worth a first, but they at least like hung around a little bit. Totally. So, um, and then and- I, I just wanted to talk about too, I guess, to, to bring it back to what we were talking about with Pitts earlier, is like. Pitts was what this whole thing kind of made me come back around to Kyle Pitts. Whereas, like, I don't see, obviously, Lee, like you said, I can't deny that at the very least Jamar Chase and um, Devonta Smith had unbelievable seasons against top-tier competition in college football, right? Like, you can't take that away from them at all. Um, Jalen Waddell seems to have, you know, the most juice and also production in the games that he wasn't hurt. Um, from those guys as well so um, they're definitely top tier talents but it's just like I don't see like the physical traits from any of them really that make me want to take them top 10 and where I look like at a guy like Pitts like he's the one out of the pass catchers that are aliens right so I I I don't know It, it just puts me in a weird spot because of how I feel about the tight end situation and I do think that Pitts might run into some trouble if a team that selects him like doesn't have a clear plan for him and just tries to make him do everything in his first year. I don't know how well that goes, especially if it's team in the top 10, like that's where it comes around to like at all the same time. It's like, I'm just not sure all these teams in the top 10 have the luxury to be taking a receiver that isn't, you know, the Julio Jones or the AJ green mm-hmm. or the Calvin Johnson. Yeah. I think that's, that's really interesting. Um, yeah. What I would say about Pitts, though, I guess, cause all that lines up and makes sense. I will push back against the idea that Kyle Pitts could just play receiver in the NFL. Like, I'm seeing articles yeah. where it's like, oh, should, should Philly just draft Pitts and, like, make him a receiver? And it's like, uh, like, I guess maybe that could happen, but it would require a lot of, like, good coaching and, like, like it just would require a lot more than people I think are – are, are, are imagining. I think people well, are imagining. I, I completely like, oh, agree, Lee. And then but he I looks also like, like Calvin Johnson. But then are you so also just... like kind of concerned that it's just like he's also like not an elite blocker? Like you're not getting a, a road grader. Uh, uh, he's not. He's not a negative blocker. He's not like yeah, a but he's, but he's, he's not like. But but then it's like if you're going to draft a tight end and he's just like okay at it. I, right, just think, I, I think he brings so much to the table yeah. offensively that it makes I, up I for agree. his inability as a blocker. I would say also, I think Pitts is going top 10, no doubt about it. Like, regardless of what I think. I think he's for sure going top 10 because the, the league already has proven that they have an affinity for tight ends. Like, that's already a thing. We see Hawkinson, we see Fant, we see Ingram. The, the list is as long in Joku. And that probably that's why I initially pushed back is because Tommy has loved these tight ends. He's been on the train with a lot of these guys. And I think my initial reaction was just like, oh, I've done another Tommy tight end where now I have to push back. When in reality, Pitts is, is just different. 
from all these guys, like clearly to where even me as being the contrarian I am, like I can't deny the fact that he's the best tight end prospect I've seen. So I think for that reason alone, like he's going to go top 10. I just, I just don't think, I, I want to emphasize, I don't think he can like play receiver in the NFL. Like I think you can line him up outside and it can work a couple times, but for him to play receiver in the NFL, I think it would require a lot of like work on his feet and in, think- in his, in his release and all that stuff that, People aren't necessarily taking into account, and I think if Kyle Pitts could play receiver, he would have played receiver at Florida. Like he would, they would have put him. If he was better at receiver, they would have put him at receiver at Florida. I, I just don't think that he is in in this consideration as a receiver. I think he's a really good tight end that can bring a lot to the table I, as a tight end. If I can, if I can jump in here, I think that just completely devalues him. Though I think so much of what makes him valuable is he's. I think he could play receiver, but I just well, I mean, Lee no didn't say that he's not going to line him up outside, Tommy. No, no, no. I'm saying, like, the fact, like, people saying, oh, he can just, like, play receive. Like, I think that devalues him. Like, obviously, he could. Like, he, he can he can coexist with Evan Ingram or Dallas Goddard. You're or, saying, like, I think wait, you're co- saying, you're saying people saying he, they'll play him at receiver devalues him. Yeah, I yeah. just think that, that, that okay. is counterintuitive. Yeah, I think okay. It's just counterintuitive I, 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 I am misunderstood that. that. Sorry. Sorry, sorry. No, I just fine. think, like what I was getting into earlier, so much of what makes him valuable is I think he is a first-round receiver talent. Like, I think if you wanted to play him at receiver, I think he could do that. I think he has the release for it. I think he has the feet for it. I think he has the size and the route running for it, which is why he is so valuable as a tight end, and he's such a mismatch problem, and why I think he'll be such a benefit to the rest of your offense and the rest of your receivers is because he's just, like, obviously I think a guy like Jalen Ramsey could could – Check him, but he really, in my opinion, is in that Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller mold. I said he was I, – I've liked the Darren Waller comp for him since I first really got into pits earlier this year. I think they're incredibly similar. I just think there's not a lot of – corners are too small. For, like most NFL corners are too small and too – not as physical for him. Most linebackers and safeties just don't have the speed to keep up with him. And I think – there's just so much you can do. So then, like, to talk, offense, Tommy, at what point do you just take him instead of the receivers? Yeah, I think that's an interesting question. Yeah, I think I think that's really interesting. I don't even know if I'm ready to. I don't know if I'm ready to answer that. And it, you know, that's maybe fine. I just have to do a deeper. I, I and I, that is a cop out. But I love I love all four of these guys, man. I really do. I really think like to go back to your and I, and I know the the stats aren't on my side, and we could be listening to this podcast two years from now. And, like, there is a very high chance that at least one of these receivers isn't going to pan out for whatever reason, and it could be Pitts. Like, I'm, I'm grouping Pitts in there. But I think all of these guys, with the exception of Devonta Smith, in my opinion, are athletic freaks, are, are physical freaks. Jamar Chase, completely little boyed. A.J. Terrell and Trayvon Diggs, who are the are number one corners in the NFL right now, as as a sophomore or whatever it was. Like, he was completely, completely dominant. I said it in the last podcast. My comp firm is A.J. Brown. Just hope I he think... doesn't get drafted to the AFC West. Because PMOD is on Denver. <laughs> what happened then? I, I can't remember. Because 40, 42 is in Denver. That that sounds like a battle to me. That sounds like a couple DPIs, but an absolute battle. <laughs> yeah, it might be some guys, like... too. Come on now. <laughs> I know you're right. You're right. It's going to go both ways. And, and Waddle, I talked about Waddle again. I'm repeating myself. Like he, I don't want to. Like he is Tyreek Hill. He's I, oh, my, my confirm is middle class Tyreek Hill. Seriously, he is. God. He is. I've never seen anyone as he doesn't have the same build as Tyreek Hill. He's not as thick and physical as Tyreek Hill, but the movement and the juice 
and being an undersized guy who can attack at the catch point, and like that's what makes Ty- so much of what makes Tyreek Hill so special is he's a one. You can put him up on the on the outside and he wins jump balls. It's not only like like he does all the like Rondell Moore stuff that we're talking about, where like running after the catch, and I think Waddle does that too. But Jalen Waddle was dominant. The only reason Devonta Smith had the Heisman season he did was because Jalen Waddle went out, and that's no knock against Smith. It's just the simple facts of the situation. And then to get to Smith. Smith isn't a physical freak. Klepp and I talked about it. Like, if Devonta Smith is to succeed in the NFL, he will be a statistical, you know, aberration. All the stuff that we're talking about, like, Devonta Smith will be breaking a mold. I think Devonta Smith is for sure a physical freak. He's 170 pounds and stronger than most 190-pound cornerbacks. And he can outrun them, too. Like I think yeah, I'm, for him to be, totally, for him get, to physically when, when you, do the things he does on a on a grown man SEC football field at 165 pounds dripping wet, that's a physical freak to me, and I think that's yeah, why he that's he, what I makes him an aberration from totally the Hollywood Browns or the you know the skinny boys. Yes, I was just getting to that. Like I, he's not when you run the numbers by like he's probably going to run a four five five or something like that. He doesn't like he, but he, when you turn on the tape like. He embarrassed Derek Stingley last year, who like is probably going to be a first-round pick, might be the first corner off the board this upcoming year. Like he, um, well, he embarrassed I, I everybody like, he played against, basically. Totally, I I view Devonta Smith. His, I mean, Smith his, a lot. I was watching some of Smith too. Like him at the catch point is just crazy. Like coming back to the ball and just like snatching the ball out of the air. Like he didn't like it's never a body catch. It's always with his hands, and he's like you know it's just he's. He's a great player. Huge just hands, like, long arms. Yeah. I, smooth, I think, natural football player. Like, smooth yeah, as like, anyone I, I agree. I've ever like, The game is, like, it's easy to him. Like, the game of football easy is scale. kind of yep. easy to him. The other thing, too, I just kind of want to say is, like, though, I just feel like every single year, the dudes who have, like, like I wouldn't, I don't know if I want to make it a prophecy yet, but, like, I kind of feel like Waddle will just go first of the wide mm. receivers. Yeah, because it's yeah. just like well, we see year after year, the NFL just kind of goes with the the prototype over the the known commodity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and especially when you factor in what happened with Rugs last year, who I think we all we all were higher on on uh, Judy and Lamb than Rugs, um, and and Waddle, I think maybe is is a four three guy. Maybe Rugs is a, a half a step faster than him, but. Like I said on the last episode, like Waddle just has juice and a f- complete receiver skill set that Ruggs just doesn't have. Like he's so much more than just a burner. And I, again, I'm not saying that he is Tyree Kill, but he's the closest thing I've seen to Tyree Kill in my short time evaluating talent. Um, and you know that's just like kind of who he reminded me of. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if Waddle's, you know, the first the first receiver off the board for those reasons. Um, because Clep, you're right. The NFL does seem to go for yeah. This dude has four three speed and he has a forty three inch vertical, and you know, you pop on the tape like this year the Mizzou game I talked about, Auburn game from last year like it's it's in, it's insane watching them. The, a lot of these guys I'm just watching their tape. I throw Rondell Moore in there too, and you're just going like, oof. It's just a it's just a joy to watch. It's just a joy to watch. They're dropping your jaw. So yeah, and for what it's worth, I mean I know I push back against the Tyree Kill thing, but I totally think Waddle's awesome. I would rank him three out of those receivers, but I still think that. For him to even be in the conversation with those guys is tremendous, and um, yeah, I mean, it sucked to see him go down this year because he probably would have had a monster year. Um, so yeah, definitely, and I think that's club. I think that's really interesting. I actually, honestly, would be interested to see kind of what the odds would be on that because I'm pretty sure you get some nice juicy odds on Waddle being the first receiver taken 
um, like seven to one or something like that, maybe. I don't know. Um, no, but not just that to kind of, I guess, bring this bring this back full full circle. I'll start with Lee. Just from from a Lions perspective, too, like some of the reason why I would be like so. Another reason why I just like don't love taking the receivers so high is because you run into a Judy situation where, yeah, sure, Judy showed stuff Lee on tape that was you know great, but it wasn't at all, you know, the season that, you know, I think he's maybe capable of because you drafted him to a team with Drew Lockett quarterback. You know, mm-hmm. how much does that hurt Judy's development as well? And slash, you know, we don't think very highly of Goff. You know, I mean, I think Goff has proven he can run an offense and Goff is better than 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 Locke. But at what point, too, is just like, you know, if you bring in a guy like, you know, a Waddle or a Smith, who you know has those concerns, or even even a guy like Jamar Chase, maybe who who is elite at those 50-50 balls, but maybe Goff can't really throw them to him. Like, you know, are 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 you? Would you just like where do you kind of stand as far as like the Lions go? Um, if, if you were in the seat, right, and you're looking at Slater versus a receiver, I would 100% take Devonta Smith if he was on the board. The only player I would take over Devonta Smith is Trey Lance. That's the only player, if I'm the Lions, if, take Trevor Lawrence out of the draft. In the full draft, Sewell, Wilson, whatever, Lance would be my number one pick, and Devonta Smith would be my second option, and Jamar Chase would probably be my third option if I had to think of it off the top of my head. Um, I think that, yeah, there's for sure something to be said about uh, Judy's development maybe being stunted by Locke's inability to be accurate. Um, as much as it may pain me to say, I think Goff's like a, a better quarterback than Locke. I think he's more accurate than Locke. I think he's more competent than Locke. I think he can like just be. I think he can be invisible way better than Locke can be invisible. And I and I think that that is maybe doesn't go very far on the stat sheet. But in terms of the players around him developing, I think I don't think Goff will be an impediment to any receiver's development necessarily. Because I think, like, I agree. we saw the, the, the group of receivers he had in L.A. I don't think he made any of them, like, worse. I think they were all really good. And I know they probably they were all more experienced than a rookie would be. But I still think Goff can, like, for the most part, put the ball where it needs to be, when it needs to be there. He's not athletic. He's average. Um, I think Locke is way more of a liability in a roller coaster. Um, so, yeah, I think that, that you bring up a really good point. But I do think I would, I would, I would stick up for Goff in that situation. And then for me, I mean, to give you a quick 30 seconds, I just think Devonta Smith is the best football player in the draft. I think Devonta Smith is arguably the best football player I've seen in the past, like, my whole life, like since Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley is the last player I saw who I was this excited about. Devonta Smith just literally, I don't care what his 40 time is. I don't care what his vertical is. I watch Alabama play football, and I watch him just be dominant against everybody, and it, it looks like he's playing a different game of football. It looks like he's an NFL player playing with college players. From day one, like, too. Literally, and I tried to ignore the guy last year. Like, I tried to ignore Smith last year to prepare myself for this year because I was like, okay, Judy's really good. Ruggs is really good. I know Waddle's really good. And I was kind of like, screw this Smith guy. Like, all these Alabama guys can't be this good. So I'm going to make him be the one who I don't think is good. And he balled out last year, too. He was still really good last year. I think he had a three-touchdown game against Mississippi State last year. He's an animal. Like, I think he is a different breed. I just simply think he's a different breed. I do think he, he's not Julio because he's not Julio. Like, look at him. He's not Julio. But I think, he, especially after seeing what Justin Jefferson did this year with Minnesota and Devonta Smith kind of measuring out similarly to Justin Jefferson, I think Devonta Smith's better than Justin Jefferson. So if you can bring a player like that into your offense, you know, at 22, 23 years old, 
coming from a winning culture. Uh, Nick Saban speaks the world of him as a hard worker and as a leader. Like I, I just think the, the all the boxes check except for the Twitter people being okay with him being 170 pounds, which I could give less of a crap about. So that's kind of where my ultimate stance is on that. Yeah, I I'm I'm with you. Like I think Devonta Smith is is number three for me just because I don't think he has the same upside because of his physical limitations as the other ones. But I think all of these guys are going to be like if. Injuries aside, all of these guys are going to be at the very least like very high level number two receivers. I would be shocked if they're you know out of the league in a couple of years if it's not for injuries or you know some dumb off the field stuff. And then just to touch on Goff too, and maybe this kind of ties into the the tackle versus receiver thing. I mean, Goff is the number one pick for a reason. I mean, we all thought that was an overdraft. We've always been playing the part of Goff haters, but I don't think he's in the lock. He's in the lock arena, and he also you know if he has protection. He can make all the throws in the book. I mean, most of the times that he was successful uh, with the Rams was him operating from a clean pocket and him being able to showcase his arm talent. He might have, I mean, he has one of the better deep balls in, in the NFL. Like, I, that was something that really, I think, was a strength of, of Jared Goff's game was his ability to attack downfield, um, and it just needs to happen from a clean pocket. Whether or not he's going to be afforded that in Detroit, I think, remains to be seen. Um, but I think, you know, any of those receivers would do wonders not only for Jared Goff, but if we all think that they're going to be moving on to a quarterback in 2022, you know, whoever it is, it'd be a valuable piece for them as well. Yeah. And club, I want to just bring in the caveat. I don't want to delegitimize your offensive line research at all, because I do think that that stuff is awesome and it makes a lot of sense, but I would just raise the do it your way thing. And and, and me personally, and I don't know, I mean, if I'm in the Lions draft room, I might be shivering telling them to draft Devonta Smith because it's like, oh, the doubt might kick in. I don't know. I can't imagine being in that position. But just from me being a self-proclaimed college football nut and someone who likes the draft and stuff, just going in, my opinion on Devonta Smith, since he became kind of Devonta Smith, since we saw this kind of unfolding in the college football season and I just kept track of it, has kind of just been, this dude's an incredible football player and no one can really tell me anything different. And if the worst thing about him is that he's 170 pounds, like, I'm okay yeah, with that. And, you know, he and, plays, and just he to, doesn't play to, like it. Yeah, to, to throw you a bone, too, you know, you have been higher on the Lions, uh, you know, than me these, these past couple of years. But something you, you bring up repeatedly about the team is just there's nobody on the roster at all that, like, screams difference maker. Right. Mm-hmm. Other than other than obviously, you know, you had Stafford, but, you know, even to a certain extent, like Galladay, you know, he was a great player. But there was just there's no, you know, there's no Tyron Matthews. There's no J.J. Watts. There's no, you know, there's no DeAndre Good Hopkins. There, there's nobody on this team. You know, maybe DeAndre Swift can, can be someone like that. Right. Um, you know, by drafting a tackle, even, you know, the most elite tackle isn't necessarily like the game breaker type. Right, so when you're drafting a, a guy like Devonta Swift, Swift, you, I mean Devonta Smith, you might be, you know, you might be getting that, which is something, you know, whether it be on the offensive side of the ball or the defensive side of the ball, you know, they desperately need. Which is, you know, even Tommy, when we were talking about uh, Usa Koromoa, like I think he can be, you know, that type of guy in the NFL too, right? So it's just, I think, you know, it, it's it's the old, you know, taking the splash pick and and trying to, you know, hit the home run versus. You know, I'm just going to try and, you know, take this one and, and hit it to right chip field. Chip away. And get, You're and chipping get the away. Single. That, that's <laughs> well, just kind of like where I put the – and then – but, you know, from a rebuild standpoint, it's just like – I mean, this team needs needs dudes, man. 
And yeah, like, I just think, I think I just think drafting a guy like you know just drafting a receiver and it being another Kevin White situation. Like I mean, you you could make a you know a Jalen Waddle Kevin White comparison. Like Kevin White had all of the intangibles, and it just mm-hmm. didn't happen for him, right? For sure. So it's just it's just like I think having a pick like that at seven, especially you know when you consider what happened last year with Okuda and how that might go, like a, a, a an absolute crater at seven, you know, would be a disaster for this rebuild. It definitely, and, you know, and, yeah. and you know the rebuild isn't you know. One player isn't going to make or break it, but it's just like you got to get off on the right foot. Totally. So, I um, yeah, I would just reiterate that I don't I, I don't think any of these guys are going to bust in terms of performance. So I don't I don't see a Kevin White situation happening. That's just a little side note I wanted to make. But another thing I do want to bring up that we haven't really talked about is if if the quarterback if Lance is off the board or whomever whomever you want. The Lions don't have a lot of draft capital. What do you think about them trading back? Right? Don't they only have like five or six picks? Yeah. If if, if Lance or Fields are not there, um, I think I would be for it. Um, it would just depend on how far back you go. Yeah. Um, and also, who's going to try and come up if there's no? You know, I also think you know you be. shouldn't let not having draft capital this year get in the way of the fact that you have extra draft capital coming in the future. Um, with the comp pick from Galladay and then, you know, the extra first from, from the Rams and the extra third that you have this year. Right. So the the only two picks that they don't have this year are on the sixth and the seventh round. Right. So it's like, it's not like you're missing a third, you know, or, or something like that. So um, I I personally, I wouldn't go like if it would depend on what they offer, but it's like, I would be leery of going all the way back to Chicago or Washington. Yeah, Clem, um, I agree. Because what I've frankly, told what I've told sorry. Lee is like I just feel like, you know, the top twelve is pretty sure in terms of like you're gonna get a great, you know, at least a great talent, right? Where you're you feel pretty solid about these like top twelve dudes of the draft. And then after that, it's like kind of a crapshoot. And I think sitting at seven and forty one, you know, you'll get a you know, at seven you're like, I'm gonna get a great prospect. And at forty one, you can kind of start seeing what shakes out like is there going to be a run on tackles is there going to be a run on receivers where you can kind of sit is there going to be a rush on edge you guys right like you can kind of sit there and see what happens before you have to take another swing yeah and at what point are you avoiding like making a hard decision for brad holmes i think is a good question because uh like, like let's take your hypothetical tommy and correct me if i'm wrong like if all the quarterbacks are off the board and someone's offering to trade back so we're saying the four best quarterbacks, and you're at the seventh pick. So, so right now you have the third pick of nine quarterbacks in, yeah. in, the, in the whole draft. And, you, and we just got through talking about how depleted the roster is talent-wise. And you're telling me you can't pick a player that's going to come in and make an impact like, and is worth his salt at the seventh pick. I just think that trading back would be a little bit of a cop-out. I think it's a completely different discussion if someone's trying to give you a loot to come yeah. get a quarterback. I think that's a completely different discussion because you can get what about you can get a ton of value for that, right? What, what about this Qu- quick hypothetical? Let's say a team like New England wants to come up and take Mac Jones at 15 and they're going to give you 15 and a second. They're second this year, no. 45 and maybe you have to give, you know. Yeah, I would yeah, I wouldn't just say, I'd ask I would for a first. That. Give me yeah, a first. I would try to get a first. I would I would try You'd to ask for a future first. I try yeah. to run them for all they had if they if you know they're trying to get a quarterback. I'd try to run them for all they had because think about from 7 to 15 is bigger than you think, even if they take Mac Jones, because then you're looking at 
8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, those are all players that you could have had that you don't have now. And for the sake of getting a, storing another pick next year, because like, wh- what have you done to prove that you're going to even do something good with that pick next year? No, I just, no, I'm saying a, a second round pick. Like, if they were to give you their second, the 45 or whatever, no. it was a 47. I don't know what the, yeah. the Patriots. Pick I'm just is. Their, their yeah. first and a second would not be nearly enough for me. Yeah, I don't think it would either for me. Fair enough. Fair enough. And I and I think it's interesting too, Clef, because you talked about. Um, you know, after the top 16, we were talking about like 16 to 40. Everyone is kind of all over the place. They are every year, but this year it seems like to be. Well, just this year with the, with the players that have opted out, players that, you know, we don't have solid testing numbers on. It just, there's just going to be, I think, a bigger difference of draft boards than in, in any year before. And, you know, maybe I'm overreacting, right? But it's just like, you know, at what point do we just start seeing kind of stuff go, you know, off the wall a little bit? I mean, yeah, I was just, I mean, I was listening to, to Move the Sticks, and they were just saying, like, some, you know, the, Daniel Jeremiah was talking about, you know, talking to GMs and saying, some of them have Aziz Aldilari as the best edge in the draft and a surefire first-round pick, and others are just like, yeah, he's kind of limited. I'm, I wouldn't take him until the third, right? And, mm-hmm. of course, there's discrepancies like that every single year with these players, but it just seems to me like this year, um, you know, with the limited information and kind of as we talked about too the confusion at quarterback across the league is just like going to be yeah. even even wider of a gap and and also something to think about for training back too is the two positions that we're focusing on here with with Detroit is tackle and receiver which i think are probably the two deepest positions in the draft maybe edges but i mean to me it's tackle and receiver the oh, come on. The There's no way a receiver is the deepest, one of the deepest positions in the draft, dude. I think it can 100% is. Look at all these guys in the second round, like Deami Brown or Amon Ross St. Brown or Elijah Moore. Like, I've been, I've been going through these receivers, man, and there's, I'm giving out a lot of day two grades on a lot of these guys where it comes to, like, an opportunity cost. And same with the tackles, too. Like, your boy Samuel Kosme or Red Dunes from North Dakota. Uh, For sure. Alex I don't Leatherwood. disagree like, with the tackles. I think the receivers is a bit of a reach. I don't think Amon Ross St. Brown is, like, particularly that good. Or, like, someone like that. Or, like, you know, Dwayne Eskridge. I, or, yeah, I just don't. No, I'm not even saying Dwayne Eskridge, man. But we can go through, like, all the guys that I – Kadarius Tony. Again, when I – you know, I tend to value tackles and receivers. So when I do my mocks and when I think about the draft, I'm like, oh, like, Rondo Moore for sure is going in the first. But I tend to agree with Klepp. Like, if I had to make a bet, I think the chalk would be on Rondo Moore not going until the second round. Potentially even at the Lions pick at 37 or whatever um, – whatever, or 41, whatever it was. Um, so I think, you know, you're, and, and, you know, if they were to move back to 15, you know, their, uh, Darisaw could be there. Slater probably won't be there. Darisaw could be there. What's that? My boy Barmore. No, I don't know. Forget about Christian Barmore, man. But even, even a guy like Tevin Jenkins, like getting a guy like Tevin Jenkins at 15 with the Patriots. Okay. I think, <laughs> 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 I'm not necessarily sold on Barmore. I need to cut a little bit more of his tape, but, um, uh, yeah, I mean, Tom, you, you do bring up a good point because I like I like Tevin Jenkins a lot. He's a pure right tackle too. You know, yeah. um, I think you know you, you're right. Where maybe you you move back to a team like you know the Patriots, you know, hell maybe the Raiders, Washington, you know, Chicago, who might be trying to come up. So, and I think you could probably get Tevin Jenkins at that point. So I mean, you know, but then but then I think you you know to to maybe what. what you know, Lee is saying you, you take yourself out of that conversation of the top tier guys. 
Totally. Totally. I have one more thing I want to bring up if you guys are willing to extend this like 10 minutes maybe. Oh, yeah. I got all day. The Great Reset is happening. The Zach Wilson Reset is happening. It I don't is. know if you guys are knowing this. It is. But the, mo- the player I'm most obsessed with, I think about him all night, uh, Zach Wilson. There's a reset happening. The odds are going down that he's going to yeah. be the second pick. Corey Davis is saying he's under the impression Sam Darnold's the quarterback. I'm seeing more kind of like um, not Ted, hit Ted pieces. Nian. Ted Nian from The Athletic, who's a prominent film cutter, came out and said he's yeah. just not a big fan. Yeah, well, I, I was yeah. going to say that it's not like there are anyone writing hit pieces, but there are just more people coming out of the woodwork saying, ah, yeah, QB5, QB4, QB6. Like, I, I just think that uh, I'm happy to see it, I guess, because I don't know if my, it would be good for my sanity for everyone to keep pumping Zach Wilson's tires until draft day. I think there probably will be a little bit more love for him in two days after his pro day because he's going to be doing some crazy off-platform stuff for sure. But, uh, but yeah, I'm just, I'm just interested to see kind of where this, uh, you know, we're, we're in kind of the one-month, uh, you know, time span here and, and to see what's going to happen with the, with the Zach Wilson um, situation going into the draft because I do think that there's value to be had on some of these sports books that haven't adjusted their odds and still have Zach Wilson as like minus 440 to be the second pick. Or you get, you get like, try, I saw on one of these books, it was like Justin, who gets drafted first, Justin Fields or Zach Wilson, and Justin Fields was like plus 380. And I'm thinking like, you don't want to just like maybe put a little bit of money on that to see if, you, if some, one of these, even club with what you were saying with how, how much disparities there are in draft boards. Sure, maybe you're wrong, and one of these draft boards has Zach Wilson as the number one QB, which is totally realistic. But, uh, you know, maybe you're right, and, 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 and there's, a, there's two or three teams in the top five that just like Fields or Lance better than, than Wilson. So um, I did want to point that out. Yeah. I, uh, you know who Zach Wilson is? He's, the, he's Megan Fox's boyfriend in the beginning of Transformers in 2009 with the yellow Hummer. That's my pro comp for, uh, <laughs> for Zach Wilson. <laughs> That's something I just thought about. I was just thinking about him in that headband out in Provo, and he's going to be winging it all over the place. Come on. Another thing, <laughs> another thing I want to bring up, too, um, it made me think of these Chris Sims wide receiver rankings and um, his, his love for, for De'Ami Brown. Chris man, which Bleeping I, Sims. What's, what's, what was that, Lee? Chris Bleeping Sims. Yeah, Chris, Chris Bleeping Sims, who, you know, I've been, I guess I'm the Zach Wilson guy here, but in, even for me, having Chris Sims, having him number one, I thought was insane. And now having uh, De'Ami Brown, who's a player that, you know, club yep. is very high on and, and I like a lot, but I do have First round grade. Hotel. He's, he's, my, he's my Brian Clep. Edwards. He's got the Hotel Club stamp of impro- approval. <laughs> he, he, he has that stamp indeed. Um, and, and, I, and again, it just goes to show where like the range on, on all of these guys and De'Ami Brown is a guy who I'm kind of I have a solid day two grade on but I do have concerns about his athletic ability and and how that will translate to the next to the next level because he is an unbelievable deep threat and you can't deny his production but if he's a guy who's going to be running four five mid four fives I just don't see how you know he's going to be able to to translate that in, in the NFL and maybe that's me looking too much into the numbers and not into the tape because his ball skills and a lot of what he's able to do is evident, and he seems pretty clear to me to be a number three, really good number three, number two receiver at the next level. Um, so, yeah, I, I just thought that's, that's interesting, and it just goes to show how, you know, all over the place a lot of these guys are and these GMs are going to be with a lot of these positions. 
For sure. And I think Chris Sims is like a good kind of like example because that's someone who Once. I think that guy is like, you know, he's probably like seven to ten years away, you know, if that from like getting an offer to be a GM possibly or something of that name. Like I think he's in that ballpark of like someone who not only is friends with GMs, friends with scouts, knows a lot of these guys' opinions. So like he's kind of just like doing it his way, as we like to say, and that very well could be, you know, almost a carbon copy of, you know, the friggin' St. Louis Rams, you know, uh, totally. uh, draft board or whoever, you know, pick and, your team. And, and, you know, for maybe for, for, the, uh, for a good sign for both Wilson and Brown is Chris Sims was a Justin Herbert truther last year and he was a Justin Jefferson truther last year. So, and, you know, Chris Sims kind of has been a guy who What do you has, mean by truth? You know, he had Justin Jefferson as his number one receiver or, or was he, he, had he was like him, top he, three? He had him higher than the consensus. He had him in the top three. He might have had him number two. Yeah. Maybe it was number one. I remember, I remember you know, that whole take, and, and I know he had Herbert number two behind Burrow. So, you know, he's a guy who definitely, he grinds the tape. He knows what he's talking about to a certain extent. He's not, he's not bad in a thousand by any means, but he's a guy who, no one is. you know, is, it's, no, no one is, but it's worth, you know, perking your ears up a little bit when you hear, For sure. you know, he's a guy that I think we all, you know, trust to a certain extent. Um, way too many F-bombs coming out of his mouth. But other than that, I think Chris yeah, Sims Chris, is, Chris is doing bleep, pretty well Chris for himself. Chris bleeping Sims. Chris bleeping Sims. Bleeping, um, my, here's my bleeping big board, you bleeps. <laughs> Do you, uh, to, to maybe finish up the pod, uh, can I maybe throw out some names to you guys and you give me a percentage chance that they go in the first round? Sure. Let's do it. Uh, Zabin Collins. I'd, I think we t- Clef, we talked about him to the Browns being a fit that we like a lot at the end of the first round, but I would say 30 to 35% chance. I was going to say 40 just because yeah. the linebackers are kind of few and far between from what I understand in terms of like first-round guys. So I think maybe someone at the back end of the draft reaches for him. I would say the Bills, the Bills re-signing Milano probably hurt his chances a little bit because um, I feel like that might be a good fit. But, yeah, I'd say like a shade under 50. I'd say if you're betting that, you're sweating at like pick 25 when, when you're in that last you know seven and he hasn't been taken yet. Um, and also, I'm sure, just a, one last thing, I'm sure a lot, like I wouldn't be surprised if a lot, I, don't, I like Zayvon Collins more than Nick Bolton, but I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of like, Football guys really like Nick Bolton um, in his tape and view him as, like, the second or third best linebacker in the class. Yeah, I mean, Zayvon Collins is just, like, a physical freak. Um, the dude, the dude yeah. is, like, a bulldozer, like, so aggressive. But then, like, Tulsa's, like, defensive scheme is also really weird. Um, they run, like, a 3-5-3. Three, three. He's always, like, he's not really a mic. He's always in zone. It's just, I don't know, it's just going to be interesting to watch. Um, what about Trevon Morick? I mean, is he not like the pretty much the number one safety? He is, but safeties NFL. I would I would say like fifty percent. I'd say fifty yeah. percent. If he's the number one safety, we saw a friggin' Tremaine Edmonds or uh, Terrell Edmonds go yeah. in the first round. We saw who else? Help me out here. What other safeties have gone in the first round where it was kind of your boy from Derwin. Maryland, Savage? Yeah, he was, it was kind of like but even what. You know, look at a guy like Derwin. Like we've talked about this for the past couple of years. Like the NFL just doesn't really value safeties that much. And I, mean, I think the free agent Tommy and I really like is, Savage, and then he went to the Packers at like what twenty one. We were just like, wow, that's yeah. And he's yeah. been good. He's yeah. been good, but yeah. still, just like holy smokes, that was high. 
Um, I would I would be with Lee. I'd probably say like 45. You got to think about when I I kind of like him going to Jacksonville at 25. They're a team that kind of could use like mm-hmm. just to do it all. Like I I love I really love Trayvon Trayvon Morig's, uh tape. Like I don't really see him having a lot of weaknesses. He can kind of be a chess piece of sorts. You can put him all over the field. Has really good cover skills and also is a really nice tackler as well and has a physical aspect to his game and also has good size. So I you know I think he's definitely a first round talent, but it just goes back to, you know, look at all the safeties last year that we watched and liked. I mean, I was high on Grant Delpit. We all liked Antoine Winfield. Um, I feel like I'm missing a name here. Um, well, there was, anyway, there was like, uh, no, what's his name? Chin, but he's he's like a backer now. In yeah, the Jeremy Chin. Yeah, but, I mean, he's, he was coming out as a safety. Duggar was coming out as a safety. These were all guys that yeah. had all of these guys. I mean, Delpit was hurt, but all those three guys all had really, really good rookie years mm-hmm. and were all kind of the players. I mean, Lee, you were super high on Chen. I love Chen, yeah. Um, <laughs> he, so, had, he, was, he had an awesome season. Yeah, he was he was great. Yeah, he was great unreal. for them. He was great for them this year. Unreal. The Panthers did a really good job, man. They yeah. really did. I think. Um, um, I, right. I, I want to flip the script on you real quick. Yeah. You can you can say uh, I want to ask you guys, and this is not what your opinion is. This is just what you think yeah. is possible. The Najee to the Steelers at twenty four. What do you think the chances are he gets drafted before the twenty fourth pick in the first round? Let me pull up the order real quick. Oh. Lee, I would say like forty percent. That's high to I, me. Maybe, I don't think I, I know it is. I don't think that's. I know yeah. it's high, but I just think I. Well, it depends. I'm gonna say I Lee. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say 25, 20 to twenty five percent, with the caveat that I think the highest chance of him going before then is at twenty three to the Jets. Mm. Okay, I'm with Tommy. I think someone might fall in love with him and just be like, screw the analytics. We're gonna take Najee. I I just well, this is this is. In this like the, the Niners, maybe? Like, would the Niners do that? Hell, heck no. No, heck no, 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 I, no. There's no way. I'm, There's no way. I'm There's thinking, no way. They're, I'm, way too, I'm thinking, they're way too savvy. Come on. <laughs> I'm thinking more along the lines of uh, the Dolphins, possibly. Dolphins, yeah. Jets. The Jets, like you said, Klepp, I don't think are out of the realm of possibility of taking him. Um, I don't know. I think some some team could maybe get tricky and trade back and take him. Like I, I know this might hurt Tommy's ears, but the Patriots maybe, if they if they like him, I know Bill's got the Bama connection. Um, I think he'd be an upgrade from from any of the running backs they have. I'm not saying I personally would do it, but I wouldn't be necessarily like super shocked if that were to happen. Um, I would be shocked if that happened, man. I would be shocked. Well, yeah, I, I know you would. <laughs> I know, I know. Damian Harris, Damian Harris is a good football player, man. Like Damian Harris, you give him sixteen games, he's going to give you a thousand yards, and he's going to catch the ball out of the the backfield. Like he's 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 like he's good enough, man. He, I, I like Damian Harris. I don't know if he's, I don't he, know if I think that's disputable. The Cardinals maybe clap. Yeah, I don't think actually, that's I don't think that's crazy. The Cardinals. Yeah, I didn't I just think, think about them. He, I think ETN just might be a better fit for them. How about I, I know this is little. another crazy one. What about the Bears? I don't no. know. The Bears have Montgomery. Mm. What am I saying? No. Montgomery's good. Well, I mean, like, what do you I, think that, I mean, what about, I mean, just to open up, I guess, like, what about Javante Williams or even ETN? Going, I mean, I, I, going round I personally, one. I, I read, um, I read, uh, John, John Ledyard, uh, mock draft today from the Pewter Report, and he, I think it wasn't a what would he would do mock. It was a predictive mock. And he had all three of those running backs going in round one, starting with Najee going to – he had Najee going to the – no, he had Etienne going to the Falcons. They trade back to eight, took Etienne at eight, 
Then he had Najee going to the Dolphins or the Jets, and then he had Javante going to the Bucks with the last pick. I think so, that's rich, man. And I, I love Javante. I, I would even make an argument that I maybe like Javante more than ETN, honestly. Like, I, I think that I probably do. Um, although it's really close. I would Like, Najee's my clear one. I would really be, especially, dude, last year the running backs were great. And I know they all went, like, right, like, obviously, Edward Slayer went the last pick around one, and then all the other guys went, like, the top, the first seven picks of round two. Um, I think that, I think two is the cap. And I would be kind of shocked if if two running backs get drafted. I, I like agree. Al- I completely agree, Lee. I, like, almost I- see it being, like, Najee going... Whether it be twenty four to the Steelers or twenty three, whatever, Najee goes in the first round, and then I could see ETN going like number one pick, second round of the Jags, or something like that. Like uh, like them just uh, yeah, the, the running back starting to like, and then you see Javante go, um, for sure like top ten or twelve in the second round, like no doubt about it. Like those three guys, I think will be they won't all be top thirty two, but I think they'll all be like top forty five picks for sure. Yeah, and. The kind of an overarching point that I wanted to make is, you know, this trend of the whole running backs don't matter movement and how it's how it's picked up steam. I was I was echoing a little bit of it in our in our 2019 mock. It was funny to listen to when we were talking about Josh Jacobs and, and Miles Sanders and even David Montgomery and players like that. Um, it seems to me that the league is kind of catching on, and there's definitely people who who believe in that sort of sentiment. But again, like. The Packers re-signed Aaron, gave Aaron Jones a big contract. Like, it's going to be interesting to see with this class. And, Lee, you mentioned the last year's class, but, like, ETN was kind of, at least in the media, was viewed as the RB1, and then he shockingly kind of went back to school. Um, and that kind of opened the floodgates for, you know, Clyde, Jonathan Taylor, DeAndre Swift, all of these guys, Cam Akers, um, J.K. Dobbins. I mean, it was a really, a really strong class. Um, you know, I, I, I just think it's going to be, to me, I'm really looking to see you know, if if two running backs go, then I think it just kind of goes to show that that whole the whole uh, analytical mindset really isn't taking over like many would think, or at least draft Twitter and all of Twitter would think. So that's something that I'm kind of looking out for in terms of like a narrative. I don't know if I'd go that far just considering Saquon was taken third. And I know Saquon, Saquon, but that was like three years ago. So like I, th- I still think like that those sentiments are like alive and well in the conversation, I just think it takes one, two, three teams to be like, nah, we're going we're gonna to overdraft this guy because we think he's that good. Like, that's kind of, even kind of like the Chiefs with Hilaire. And I'm not saying it was like a bad pick, but like, they could have addressed other areas of the team, like for sure, before they addressed running totally. back. But they were just like, no, nah, we're, we're going to take like the best playmaker on the board right now. And that happened to be Clyde Edwards Hilaire. I could see that kind of happening again. And I think that that pewter report, that's really interesting. Like, I never really thought of the Bucks like uh, bookending the first round by taking a running back, but now that you mentioned it, it's kind of like, oh, I guess that would make sense, especially if Fournette doesn't get signed because, like, yeah, I don't and, know where they go. Think, I think Rojo had a really nice year, but like, he's fine. He, he he really can't catch the ball out of the backfield. Like, he can't. Like, they they don't they are missing that, and Fournette can't either. They both they both were abysmal catching the ball out of the backfield, and I mean, me personally, like. If a guy like Michael Carter is available at 64 in the second round, like that's who I would take. Like Michael Carter, when I was watching Diami Brown, like I mean Javante, obviously I got a big crush on. I, I, you know, I only refer to him now as Jimmy Neutron because of his uh, his high GPA that he achieved over at uh, at uh, at North Carolina. But Michael Carter, man, is like 
incredibly impressive. He's, he's diminutive, but kind of has some Clyde vibes too with like his contact balance and the way, I mean, he's just a fluid receiver out of the backfield as well. So again, that, and even a guy like Kenneth Gainwell, who was really popping last year on that Antonio Gibson tape 2019. So I think the Bucks potentially are in the market for a running back, especially too. James White, it looks like is heading back to new England. And that was kind of a, mm-hmm. a spot that everyone was pointing out for him. Um, let's do, let's do two more before we sign off. All right. Yeah, collapse. Sorry, I kind of hijacked. No, you're good. Here. You're good. It was it was good. Um, Greg Newsom, eighty percent. Yeah, I, I was gonna say eighty. I need to start answering these quicker. Eighty. I'll, I'll go seventy-five. Um, Liam Eichenberg. Mm, I'd say ten to fifteen percent. Ten. Se- Give me 10. Seventy. I don't think he's going. Seventy. Seventy. Yeah. All right. Woo. That was good. I like that. I think, believe it or not, the, go, the 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 NFL teams don't reference the draft board for their big board. I don't think, uh, or the draft network. I think <laughs> I, I, I think that there are there are definitely a handful of teams that have Eichenberg as a top five tackle in the draft. Like I for sure think that, and I think that there will be four more than four tackles taken in the first round. So that just leads me to believe that one of them is gonna, whether it be Leatherwood or Eichenberg or. Ray Duns or one of those guys. Like one of them's gonna get drafted higher than we think. Maybe two. So let the record show um, that I said that I said seventy uh, percent. Hey Lee, I like it. You're doing it your way. If we can just circle well, it's back not to even the really, thing. I, it's like really what I think, you know. I really do think Well, I just I and to talk about Newsom, it's like what are the chances that Sertain Farley, Asante Samuel, and JC Horn even some, I'm sure a lot of teams have Newsome higher than some of those guys. Like, what are the chances they're gone by, you know, 25 with the Jaguars or the Jets at 23? I mean, there's a lot of teams that have gaped. I just, holes. I don't think Asante Samuel goes around one, Tommy. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe you're right. Why not? Um, just because he doesn't have, I just think, like, you're talking about the size. Like, I just think teams will fall in love with, with the bigger prospects, and he's one of the smaller ones when you talk about the top corners. Yeah, you could be right. I we need to do a um, we need to do a, a, a post round one live show because we're going to be pounding our t- hand on the if Asante Samuel is there. It might not go as well as you think there. it will. <laughs> you know, definitely. I mean, there's we're all going to have a collective blood alcohol level of, of, of very high, but I think it's going to be great to just. There's going to be a lot of pounding on the table, um, you know, and and I think Clep, you you very well could be right because he's another guy like. Like even like a guy like, like I mean, I just think like even, you know, talking about my Q's boys, like I think Ify Malafonu might go before him just because of his size and how he how he tested. Yeah, totally. I mean, he's definitely more projectable. But Asante Samuel tested well, and then his his uh, his tape is awesome, too. You're right about the size. It's a little diminutive. But the NFL also loves the bloodlines. You I, know? I love me the good, a good little corner who's, who's mad. Like... That kind of is like what Asante I mean, Samuel. J.C. Horn's a, a big corner who's mad. Yeah, I love J.C. Horn too. I'm just saying I love Asante Samuel because he's a dog, and obviously the bloodline is there. Um, so yeah. Alrighty, fellas. Does that, uh, pretty much wrap it up. Yeah. Anything else? Q stay scheming.